Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Eden Brook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show today. This week, I'm talking with composer Catherine Joy. Catherine is the founder and CEO of Joy Music House, which is a full-service score production company in L.A., She is also the Vice President for the Alliance for Women Film Composers. Her music has been featured on projects for Netflix, Amazon, and HBO, just to name a few. Today we are talking about the importance of having a mentor when starting your career, the difference between composing, arranging, and orchestrating a project, and the importance of how you need to represent yourself when connecting with clients and other composers you want to work with. Get ready to take lots of great notes. All right. Hey, guys. I am talking with Catherine Joy, who is in L.A. And hello, Catherine. How are you today? Hey, great to hear from you. I'm doing well. Good. Thank you so much for jumping on here and talking with me today. Um, You own a company called Joy House Music in L.A., which works with a lot of composers. and You do composing for like film and TV projects and things like that. And um, and I wanted to invite you to come on to my show. And because we have a mutual friend, her name is Hope Thal and uh, who works for you. And uh, Hope is a co-writer and friend of mine, and she's been on the podcast as well. She's been on a few episodes back. And so um, I asked her, I was like, do you think Catherine would be willing to come on and talk to me? Because she's got this really cool, you know, perspective on the industry. And she's like, yeah, I think so. So I was so grateful that she connected the two of us together and that you were kind enough to come on and talk with me today. Yeah, it's my absolute pleasure. Um, Joy Music House has been officially going now for about I think a bit over a year um, but it's okay. unofficially been in existence for a long time and we can talk about that and uh, yes I'm so grateful to have Hope on board. Hope actually started as my assistant and she's since definitely grown out of that into a fantastic composer, songwriter, mm-hmm. producer um, and so it's been really exciting to see her career path as well. That's but yeah. cool. I- I'm happy to talk uh, to you about all this, all this fun stuff about existing in this business. Yeah, such an important thing for people, um, you know, to be encouraged and to hear stories of people who have who have been successful in the music industry, doing lots of different things. And for, you know, for most of us, that has it's multiple streams of income, which I talk about all the time. And you know, we might start on one thing and move to another and back and forth and kind of work your way up the ladder. So for some people and for some of us, it's doing you know, five or six, seven things all at one time to be able to do that. And um, so uh, I'm excited to kind of get your perspective on the industry and how you've been able to to make a living and be able to share the information with, with my audience. So first of all, tell us where you're from originally and how you got into music and kind of worked your way into the, the industry to begin with. Yeah, well, I'm actually from Tasmania, Australia, from the, the capital of Hobart. And uh, my mom was a concert pianist, and okay. our whole family was very music musical. Um, my sister and brother both play instruments. We played a lot as a family. Uh, my parents, when I was five, became missionaries. Uh, they joined a mission organization called Youth of the Mission. And yeah. through that, we ended up... Um, traveling the world, doing a lot of short-term missions based in Australia, but going out to throughout Asia, Vanuatu, um, we went to Latvia. So, and music was always a major part of that, you know, that ministry as, right. as, as we refer to it. 
um, playing together and, and using music as a form of, of communication, which honestly was um, a great way to learn. You know, I learned so many skills in that environment that I now apply to doing music, you know, for media. Um, you definitely need to be an evangelist right. <laughs> when, yeah. you, when you write your own music and, and networking and right. everything. So it's hilarious how a lot of the skills I learned in that environment I now apply to what I do now. Um, but yeah, what, my mom and I are very similar and my sister and brother, while they love music and still have a great relationship with music, uh, went different paths. My sister became a computational chemist. My brother is a professor of polit political science and uh, human rights and ethics. Um, mm. So they both kind of went the more academic route and it was decided very early on that I would follow in my mom's footsteps and become a professional musician which was always a decision I was happy with. But the interesting thing for me was it took me a long time to figure out exactly where I fit in the world of music, because as you know, um, there are so many things you can do in the music world. And when I was first starting out, I was performing. Mainly I was a violinist and a singer and performing was a, a major part of, of what I did and my identity. But the funny thing was it never felt completely right to me, but it was the natural thing to do as my mom is a performer. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so when I was like right out of high school, you know, my goal was to come to the States. I, I, I cannot even tell you when the idea to move to America started inside of me. For me, it feels like it was something that was just always there. Um, and when I was 16, an American composer had heard me sing and said, um, you need to come to the States and study. And I was like, yeah, of course, that sounds great. I never thought it was possible. And I met up with him and his family um, when I was visiting the States when I was 18. And again, he's like, you really should come here and study. And I was like, Patrick, that sounds amazing, but you know, you make it happen and I'll be here. And um, he basically made it happen for me. Um, but this is definitely not a fairy tale. Like he, he found a way for me to move here, but then, you know, I, I got, uh, I got approved to go to George Mason university in, uh, on the East coast in, in Northern Virginia and Patrick Kavanaugh and his family agreed to let me stay with them. But when I actually moved my entire life here, <laughs> the school had no scholarships. I had visa complications and everything got really complicated for a long time. And this is kind of a big part of my journey is that there was just a lot of twists and turns. And I don't want to go into the minutiae of it, but the reality is I moved to the States thinking I was going to become a performing musician. At that point, my focus was jazz because even though I'd been raised with classical, I was really trying to find where I fit. So I came here, I tried to be a jazz musician that, that path eventually led me to Seattle, where I eventually went to Cornish College of the Arts, started studying jazz vocal performance. During the midst of that, found that again, it just didn't feel like it fit properly. And that's when I started composing music and falling in love with that. But again, I was being told by you know my mentors and, and the people around me, you have to keep performing. Um, which eventually led me to burn out as a musician, give everything up. That just only lasted a few months because apparently I meant to be a musician. Then I went into teaching music, pursued that, started teaching at an elementary school. The teaching again led me back to composing. And it was actually while I was working with my students that I just came to the realization that I needed to be composing music, that needed to be a focus for me because out of everything I'd done in music, which at that stage was almost everything, I had taught, I had performed, I had performed in classical, I performed in jazz and rock. But at that point, the only thing that felt right was composing. And I just happened to get an email about a one night a week film scoring course. So I signed up for that, went to the first session of that. And as they were speaking about film scoring and everything involved, I suddenly realized to myself, and this is something I want to talk to you a bit more about, but I realized this checks every box, this checks every skill set that I've been developing 
through the three decades I had on this earth. And mm. I was like, I think maybe this is where I fit. Right. So then I threw myself into pursuing film scoring. I, I kept doing that one night a week class, which is now a master's degree. But at that time, it was just a, like a certificate. But I also started networking aggressively with, with filmmakers. This was in Seattle, in the Seattle community. I started making coffee dates with any composer I could meet to talk to them about their life as a composer and as a film composer. I um, joined the Seattle Composers Alliance so I could get to know the community more. I joined Women in Film so I could get to know that community more. And I just tried to do everything I could to fast track my growth as a film composer because at that point I was in my early 30s and I was like, this is a new career. I have to make up some time. And right. so I just went for it. And so let me ask you, let me ask you this. Yes. Um, what, what would you say the significance is of joining like women in women, uh, women in film, yeah. women in film and the, you know, the, the Alliance and those types of organizations. It was What's the significance of signing, uh, of getting with those to, to network and how is that helping you build those relationships? It was absolutely critical. Um, I think whatever you want to do, and this definitely applies to music especially, is you need to become a part of that community. Um, that's how people get to know you. That's how people get to trust you. As much as the quality of our work is important and marketing that work you know, through social media or online presence, whatever, is important. It's definitely important. At the end of the day, this comes down to relationships. Right. And and so often you just get hired because you have a relationship with someone. No one, you know, it's no one really wants to hire someone who there's no sort of connection through their community because it feels like a complete red herring. It happens. It still happens. But you're more likely to get hired on anything if you know people. Mm -hmm. And my approach to this and you know other things in my life but especially to composing for media is kind of this spiderweb approach it's like every organization every group i'm part of has its own web and if you create all these different webs that are maybe far away from each other and they keep growing that eventually they intertwine and then you are covering this massive amount of space right and and it's really cool too when you know connections that you made by joining this organization, you know, leads you to connection you made in the other organization. And then it's like you have two seals of approval from two distinct organizations. And, you know, people are even, even more, you know, that they, they're probably more likely to trust you because they're getting positive feedback from different spaces. Right. Yeah. No, I agree completely. So, and it's, it's also about, you know, this is part of doing the work and, and doing the work applies to many different things. It applies to practicing, it applies to learning the software, it applies to, um, you know, just, just creating content. But another part of doing the work is, is contributing to your community. And I do a lot of work right now that's volunteer. I, I'm the vice president of the Alliance for Women Film Composers. I used to be the executive director. Uh, that's a volunteer position, um, and it's all about building community, amplifying other women film composers, advocating for composers, you know, education. And that is something I've invested a lot of time in. I haven't gotten paid, but the payment is the reliability and the, the reputation I've created in my community, which opens doors for me. So sure. there is, like... I, I think you could even say a monetary payback from volunteering and being present in your community and giving back to others. Now, do you, um, have you had success or uh, trying to get the right way to ask the question, the people that you've connected with by being in that position in those organizations um, have, has that led to opportunities to be able to to work on certain projects, either for you or for other people that you've connected with in? Absolutely. Okay. We had this hilarious situation where, um, you know, me and, and Joy Music House were being pitched as, you know, the score producers on 
I'm just going to be vague about this just in case a studio film. So it's a, you know, it's a big, you know, one of the bigger studios. Um, and, and the, the composers who are hiring us were pitching us to the executives and they said it was a hilarious experience because they're like, look at Catherine's credits. You know, she worked on Wild Wild Country, which won the Emmy. She worked on this, which did this, you know, they kept throwing all the credits and they were still getting a wishy wishy response. And then they said, and she's also vice president of the Alliance for Women Film Composers. Oh, they said, oh, then uh. yeah. And, <laughs> and they're like, it's hilarious because it wasn't even about your work, which is, you know, on IMDb and is what we consider like concrete, you know, a, a concrete piece of information. Instead, mm-hmm. it was because I was a face for this organization. And it's sure. just, it's just funny what people find comforting or what people find reliable. Well, and I think that because you have that position, you know, as vice president, executive director, any of those, you know, anything like that in an organization of that nature, um, you know, tells people that you know what you're doing and what you're talking about. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there. Exactly. I think that's a comforting, just sort of a comfort level for people um, as an extra cushion, maybe. And I also think, you know, these organizations, I've met people who've really been there for me in times of, of, of struggle or, you know, quieter times. I mean, it's, it's just an investment like anything else and it really does pay off. And I, I think it's just, it's a lot of work on top of the work that you're already doing, but I think mm-hmm. it, it does pay off in dividends. And moreover, the work we do is so isolating and it's, it's really important to remain sane and to keep perspective and to not become bitter or jaded. It is really important to, to be an active part of your community that can protect you and help you um, in an industry that's honestly extremely challenging to, to sign up for. Yeah. So what moved you from Seattle to LA? That's a great question. Um, so I, you know, I aggressively pursued being a film composer in Seattle for uh, three years. I, I started, like, I was a brand new green composer at the end of 2009, and I moved to LA in, at the end of 2012. And Seattle is um, like a lot of the great smaller film communities throughout the states or throughout the world, in that it has a fantastic community, a very enthusiastic community. Um, to create a lot of content, but the money just isn't there. So if you live in Seattle, you, you can't just be a film composer. Um, and maybe you can't just be a, a person working in music for, for media. You have to have another gig or another source of income. It's probably not music or film related to survive. The, the people that survive there purely on working in media, they, you know, it's a few and it's a small group. Um, so I knew that if I wanted to kind of have a bigger career, a career that just, you know, where I just worked in media, I needed to go to LA. And the benefit of, of Seattle to LA is that they're very close. So, so even before I moved here, I spent a year coming down here networking and building community, um, new community for me, connecting with all the groups here. You know, I joined the Academy of Scoring Arts, which at that time was called the Rebel Club, which is simply a group of composers who get together once a month and study scores together and then talk to each other. It was founded by Ron Jones, who's a composer for Family Guy and Star Trek Next Generation and all those huge uh, shows. He worked, on Next, he worked on Next Gen? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I mean, that's awesome. And he came up through Hanna-Barbera. He, he's the one that wrote the DuckTales theme. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Cool. So he's since retired um, in, in upstate, in Washington. Um, and the Academy of Scoring Arts is now run by other great composers here in L.A. But he was the one that founded that whole concept, which is a beautiful one. And I also, you know, was, was going to Society of Composer and Lyricists events. And I also went to ASCAP's I Create Music and Expo. I met a lot of people through that and um, I'm very grateful for the community I found through ASCAP. So, but it was, 
but it was so important to come down here and network and to um, to start looking at an exit plan out of Seattle because while I did really well there and I still do, I would say probably a quarter of all my projects through the year at least are still Seattle projects and Seattle filmmakers because I love that community. I'm still really connected to filmmakers up there. And, um, you know, I believe in what they're doing, but it's just not as much work as here. Even, even from a population standpoint, Los Angeles County has 10 million people, which is massive. And then it has the bulk of the studios. So the, the content that's created per person in this, in this county, in this area is, is massive. Right. So it's just an easier market to find gigs. And even though so much right now is global and online and, you know, people who don't live in LA can definitely find gigs. And, and that's something we could talk about. It's just easier when you're here, when you, when you're here, because you aren't meeting people. You so know. how did you, so once you moved to LA or even as you're that first year of just going back and forth, and then you're going to these different um, expos and organizations and getting to know people that way. How did you end up landing your first actual uh, composition job for a film once you once you were connected with the people in LA? That's a great question. So, okay, so the first gig I landed in LA was seven days after I arrived um, in the car with the cats. <laughs> uh, was with for with Miriam Cutler, so it wasn't a composing gig; it was like an orchestration music prep gig. Okay. Miriam Cutler is a very uh, established composer in the documentary world. Um, last year, we were nominated for two Emmys uh, for documentary score. One was for Love Gildo, and one was for RBG, both of which I score supervised. Um, so Miriam has been my longest collaborator in LA, and it started with that gig uh, seven days after I arrived. Now, I had met Miriam because my mentor in, in Washington State had got a meeting for me before I moved here. So I, okay. I went to her, I reached out to her, I went to her place, I sat down with her. Um, and then, so she knew I was coming and she knew okay. I was eager to work for her. And gotcha. then seven days after I arrived, she gave me a call and she's like, you here? And that that's the fascinating thing about that whole thing was that she said, are you here? And I said, yes. And she's like, I need help on these projects. I just have this feeling that you're the right person. Those two projects I did for her, um, one which premiered at Sundance and one which premiered on PBS, um, in the next three months, I didn't see her at all. I didn't go to her place. I didn't spend any time with her. But she felt more comfortable hiring me because I because she knew I was physically in West Hollywood and she was in Culver City. Okay. So it's one of those interesting proximity things where even though we're global, people often still do feel more comfortable with the proximity issue for better right. or for worse. Sure. Um, so I started working with her on that and that's been a, a relationship that's continued ever since then. So and you got, and you got that because you, you had someone, a mentor that connected you guys together. Exactly. That, allow that to happen. And so that's one of the things that, you know, I'm always trying to let people know about on, on this program is that, you know, like you said earlier, this is all relationship based. It really, what it comes down to the, the, the talent is super important. You have to have the talent, but you also have to have relationships and connections with people that, that people want to work with you, you know? And, and it's um, also about follow through. Like we, it's great to have mentors, but they, you know, only rely on them to get you in the door. Right. And it's all about, again, following up, doing the work. You know, I met with her. I'm positive. I followed up in an email telling you know, telling her about when I was planning on being here. We connected on Facebook so she could see my posts about coming to L.A. You know, it's, it's, it's about mentorship is so important. And also being humble enough to ask your mentors, like, can you open this door for me? Can you make this connection? for me, you know, you can't rely on your mentors to figure out how to open doors for you. You have to help them help you. 
right. and tell them, you know, and, and, and just always play those cards really wisely as well. You know, I, I'm really thoughtful about when I call people for help. So I know that when I actually call them, you know, they're going to be open to, to helping me in that instance. Sure. Oh, that makes sense. I, I appreciate that. Uh, okay. So tell us about Joy Music House and kind of the specifics of what you do there. So it's so funny too. This is a great segue because Joy Music House really led out of that relationship with Miriam Cutler. Okay. So as I worked with Miriam, you know, doing all her music prep, orchestration, which turned into more score supervision. And by that, I mean just overseeing the entire, entire score production process, also called score producing. Um, I worked, did that work for her, and then she recommended me to other people. She's always just been awesome about saying, you know, Catherine's great, and she did this for me, and being really open about, about my role in her process. Um, so then I started getting other work that was related to this, like music prep, orchestration, you know, running scoring sessions, just doing all this work um, kind of came from many different sources, many different composers around L.A. And this was in addition to composing my own projects. And also at that time, I was I was doing some teaching as well. So. You know, I know you love to talk about diversifying income streams, and that's definitely something I've always done. And it's funny because at this point in my journey, I I was at a crossroads because I was hearing from some people, oh, you should just go for the gold. You should only compose. You shouldn't tell people you're an orchestrator. Otherwise, you're going to be put in the box, which for me, I hate that advice because the advice is fear-based. And when someone tells me advice, it's fear-based, you know, that's a red flag for me. And like, what exactly am I supposed to be afraid of in this right. situation? So what is, for the audience, can you explain the difference between composer and an orchestrator? Absolutely. And orchestrator is now a term that's really, um, it just means so many different things. Often orchestrating meant that you were just given you know, maybe a melody with chords and you had to voice it out for the entire ensemble, whatever that ensemble is. Um, now it often means, you know, it still can mean that. It depends on the client. Often for me, orchestration means that I get someone's, you know, logic or Cubase or Pro Tools session. And they basically, you know, they have like string patches. Maybe they have like violin one strings, violin two strings. Maybe they just have strings and brass and you know whatever and then i have to break that out and make sure every single voice and every note is appropriate to the instrument that's playing it and often i might make different decisions than the patches and the virtual instruments are using because i understand real instruments and so i know what's going to work better in that live situation often very different choices than you would make in the virtual instrument situation so so you're saying for for the what you're having to do, somebody is sending you uh, virtual or MIDI MIDI instruments of basically this is like a demo. Like this is what we want. We want exactly. a live version. We want a live version of this, and we want you to create the live version based off of this. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. And it's it's all about honoring the intention of the composer, but elevating it with live instrumentation. Right. And also making good choices. Sometimes you know virtual instruments have come a long way. And sometimes they're doing something, especially with like affected instruments, you know, they're doing things that work really well in with the virtual instrument. And if you try to recreate it live, it just wouldn't have the same effect. Mm -hmm. And by the time you come into orchestration and score production, the mock-ups, the demos have already been approved by the director. And so you can't then do the live recreation of that and have the sound be completely different because that's not what was approved. Right. So it's a real close line to walk. You know, one of the decisions you make now as an orchestrator is like, yeah. should that be orchestrated? Should that stay in MIDI? Is there something I can do with live instrumentation that will support that and elevate it without changing the sound? Completely? Yeah. So orchestrating, you are working someone else's comp 
composition and then as a composer you're creating your own exactly yeah okay yes and then you have arranging which i also do a lot of and that's what i did on wild wild country um the netflix series that won the emmy which is similar to orchestration but different with arranging you're taking a concept or in that situation i was taking some music and adding elements or changing things around to complement you know picture work with picture but it's with arranging you're usually adding some content like you're adding mm -hmm. a line you're adding different melodic content that's already in there mm -hmm. um so it's closer maybe to composition but still you know you're still definitely relying heavily on the original work of the composer in question right let me ask you this whenever like so like netflix with wild wild country right yes that's right when netflix or you know, a studio or production company, whoever reaches out to you to work on their project at this point at, with Joy Music House, are they reaching out to you because they are being referred to you from someone else? Or they, do they know you specifically, you know, because you've already got that relationship with them? Or uh, is it referrals? Is it word of mouth? How does that work for you now that you've been established as this company? Yeah, all of the above now. Now, um, I just heard from a composer who had a meeting with Netflix that Netflix brought my name up um, when it came to orchestration. So we're starting to get more known with the studios themselves, okay. but more often than not, it's a recommendation the composer received um, from another composer or maybe from their agent, because now we work with agents as well. Well, now agents have gotten to know us because we work with their clients and then they recommend us to their other clients gotcha. so i mean it just comes it comes from every avenue it's, every direction it's, yeah. every direction which you know we're so grateful for and again this is that spider web idea you know you have all these different networks and connections and then eventually they they meet you know and when that happens it's kind of a small victory yeah so with joy music house you're you basically are taking it from from scratch from ground level to finished project if if needed or you can start anywhere in between if someone reaches out to you and they've got part of it done they need something specific done to it that they can't do or don't have time to do you guys can take over at that point and help get it to the finish line correct absolutely so we we offer any as you said any services big or small that's needed you know with homecoming season two the amazon series um we just score produced that and the what that looked like was Emil Mosseri, the composer, composed the score and then basically handed it off to us and we took care of every other aspect of score production. So we, we orchestrated it, we copied it, I ran the recording sessions, I booked studios, uh, I worked with my contractor to book the musicians. So every single aspect of that after the MIDI in the DAW and the approval from the director, every other aspect was handled by me and the Joy Music House team. But other times we're just brought in to orchestrate a few cues or just do the orchestration and copying and it's recorded somewhere else or, you know, or just arrange a few pieces and that's it, you know, it, mm -hmm. it really depends. And then of course, everyone on the team um, is available for composition and additional music. And getting right. back to the point we we're talking about before, um, you know, I was told to be fearful of being labeled as an orchestrator and I was cautioned to not go down this road I've gone down and instead just focus on composing. But as I weighed that warning, it occurred to me that orchestrating or copying or anything like that, you're being paid to work with another composer. And in that process, you learn all their tricks, you learn how they compose, you learn their orchestration methods, you learn their compositional methods, you learn from their mistakes, which has been the best thing. I've, I've worked with people that unfortunately have crashed and burned pretty aggressively on a project. Mm -hmm. And it's been a massive learning experience for me. I didn't, I didn't contribute to the crash and burn. Thankfully, you know, I always try right. to do the best quality work I can, but right. I've learned massive lessons and I didn't have to go through the heartbreak of, of being responsible for them myself. Crashing and burning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was like, 
Okay, so so let's think about what they're warning me against. They're warning me against being boxed in as just a composer. I mean, just an orchestrator, I apologize. So how do we avoid that? So then I thought about my social media presence. On social media, the thing I talk about most is my composing. I put that in the forefront, so I'm still known as a composer. On my website, I rarely talked about, in my bio, I rarely talked about my work as an orchestrator. You know, I talked about my credits as a composer. So I made sure I was really specific in my branding that I was a composer. And then the orchestration and the copying work, all that other work came through word of mouth in the composer community because composers are the ones who need to know me as an orchestrator, as a score producer. And then the people who need to know me as a filmmaker are filmmakers. So I just made sure that I was marketing, marketing myself very specifically and thoughtfully to the people that I wanted to hire me for whatever gig I wanted to them to hire me for. Sure, if that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. So, so it's, it's it's really important, even early on, to to think about your brand and think about what you're communicating to who. Yeah, no, that's great. I appreciate that. So, if what would you suggest to people that are wanting to be a couple different things? Um, for people who who are wanting to be composers or orchestrators or work in any of these particular things that you've been a part of, um, what's some advice that you would give for them to that are trying to get into that? What are you know some step by step? Okay, here's here's the things to do. Here's the things maybe not to do if you're trying to do that. Or if somebody were wanting to come and work for you at Joy Music House and they're trying to get their foot in the door to work for an organization, a company that does what you do, um, kind of those two perspectives. What would you suggest for them to do it's a great question um well i would suggest you know what we've already talked about become part of your community so because cold calling definitely can work and i'm not i would never discourage people to cold call because i think it's it's just surprising me the doors that can open um if you are cold calling anyone just really be so thoughtful about how you reach out to people. Um, I've received some cold call emails that are just almost horrifying because it shows they've done <laughs> no research on who I am or, you know, it's, they're just not thoughtful and they just seem, right. you know, just, or they're poorly written or anything. I mean, just be so careful about how you represent yourself to anyone. Um, and when you're approaching people, co-calling or not, always approach them with, how can I help you? Not, I need this from you. Right. And that's, because that's just such a turnoff. Um, but it, it, it's definitely better to be part of the community. When you reach out to a composer, it's, it's always so helpful if you have some sort of connection to them through another avenue. You know, if you've been to school for composing and you have teachers who mentored you, you know, try and reach out to people who that teacher has a relationship with, maybe ask them to do that introduction. So, so there is some sort of reliability in your reaching out. You have someone to, to speak for you and, and to give you a vote of confidence. Sure. Um, and then it's so important to represent yourself accurately and be good. I mean, this is a huge part of it. I met with a lot of people before I came to LA, um, a lot of established people who, you know, when I introduced myself to them, they could, they could, I gave them access to my work if they wanted to check it out. And the thing I heard that was very comforting to me before I moved here was, you're going to be okay because you're good. And if you're good, you're going to find work. And right. it's just so important to be good. Like you need to know the software that you say you know. It's just, it, it seems like a, a basic common sense thing, but I've experienced a lot of people who just don't have that. Like you, you need to do the work and make sure you're good. And then when you get that opportunity, man, you need to deliver. Like you need to deliver on time. You need to make sure your work is good. Get someone else to check your work, call in a favor with a friend, get someone to look over what you're doing. But when that door opens a crack, you need to not mess up that opportunity. The thing about 
LA and I would say the global compositional community is it's very small. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And if you do a bad job, that news will spread even quicker than if you do a good job, sadly. Yeah. And so it's just, and the other thing I would say, um, and this applies to every stage of, of where you're at in your career, is when you do make mistakes, which you will, if you do massively mess something up, which you'll do at least a couple of times, take ownership of it and make sure you actually say the words, I'm sorry. Um, it's It's been interesting to be quite recently where I've worked with, with a lot of people starting out and they seem to not understand the power of that. Um, they make an excuse or they, they say, I won't do it again or I'll learn from this. That's all really good things. It's sometimes it's helpful to know why they made the mistake they did, but they didn't actually own the mistake and apologize for it. And mm -hmm. just things like that are, are levels of professionalism that will, even when you mess up, make people come back and work with you again. Uh, let me ask you this. So if somebody wants to, to work for your company or a company like yours, um, you know, let me, well, let me ask it this way. Is there, cause you've got a pretty good sized team of people that, that are working for you right now. Are you always on the lookout for new composers or new people to, to come, you know, that have different skills that can, you know, that can come work for joy music house or are you kind of, you know, I'm, we're good right now. We're not looking for anything or. I am always it? on the lookout um, for people for JMH and also People come to me um, because I've been part of the community a while because of the work I've done with, for instance, the AWFC. People come to me looking for good help. Um, mm. And so I am always have a list of people that I want to recommend. Yeah. Um, so I am, you know, I appreciate people who reach out to me. Usually the, the path of this is that people reach out to me and ask to connect with me. And then they just keep me apprised on their progress and what they're doing. And, you know, I appreciate people who are persistent, um, but polite and who, who keep in touch because then I keep seeing emails for them or I keep seeing them pop up on social media and talk about the work they're doing. And it's like, okay, well, they're still here. They're still in the industry. Okay. They've, they're working with these people they are doing these things. So I keep an eye on that. And then when an opportunity comes up, you know, someone's looking for an assistant or something like that, then you know, I do remember those people and then try and send them those opportunities. Yeah. Um, with with Joy Music House, um, and this kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier, when, when I started getting a lot of orchestration work, um, I, I would be hiring my friends, my composer friends, to come and help me. Um, most of the people I hire to be on the team, and, and this is true of the of the JMH team as it currently stands, is that they're all composers who are reasonably established. They've actually been scoring projects for a while. We don't actually have anyone on the JMH team that's you know really at an assistant level, right? Um, because that's the level of uh, of work that we provide for our clients. However, we do like currently we have two people who are you know fresh out of school who are on the assistant level who work with JMH, you know on, on many of our projects. Actually, we have three three people now. Um, they're not JMH composers, but they probably eventually will be um, sure. once they've got themselves established and they've been doing this work for a while. Um, I I definitely see that in their future if they're interested. Um, so it's it's a process to kind of get for for my company specifically to get to that to that level of actually being a JMH team member. And the reason I've chosen to do this is because the whole concept of JMH is, is composers supporting composers. And mm -hmm. I'm trying to get rid of that stigma of like orchestration is a lesser thing and, and being the composer is a higher thing. I feel like we all have these roles to play and sometimes you play the composer role and sometimes you play the orchestrator role or you play the score producer role. They're all valid. Um, right. They're just, they're just different. Um, and they're all needed. They're all needed and yeah. they all require, you know, a very high level of 
of expertise. Right. So that's why, you know, Ariel Marx is one of our JMH composers and she had it, you know, she had a series on Amazon last year that she was the composer on. Um, cool. and then we, we have Christy Marshall, who is a, a Sundance alum, you know, so it's, they're all very high level composers, but they're all people who are willing, um, and have the humility and the open-mindedness to not just be doing composer work, to also be open to doing these other, you know, fulfilling these other roles in right. the, in the life cycle of preparing music for a TV or a film. TV show. So do you ever, or would you ever consider, uh, because you're in LA and so I'm assuming all of your team is there locally uh, that can come into the actual building, wherever you are, are you, are you able or willing to work with, with people remotely that are, you know, either in Nashville or on the other side of the world or, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, JMH is still really young, but already we, we're talking with clients all over the world and I would love to see JMH in some form be, you know, a, a national thing, an international mm-hmm. thing. I mean, when I was in New York for a concert in September, I was talking to a lot of established composers there and they were like, we need JMH here in New York. You know, Nashville is another, um, it's, it's becoming a hot, hot spot of composition and, and yeah. music and media. So it's, I definitely foresee that happening down the line. At the same time, I'm just really interested in, in slow growth. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I'm also just really open to, to meeting people from, from all over the place because you just never know. <laughs> you know? Sure, I, I yeah. never, I never want to discount someone. And, and I, I'm, I was very lucky in the moving to LA for me financially made sense. You know, I, you know, I was just in a in a privileged position where that was an easy move that made sense and was possible. But that's not going to be the case for everyone. You know, some people need to stay where they are right now and make it work. And a lot of composers are in Australia, which is a, you know, when it comes to produ- the amount of production and, you know, the amount of uh, work that's available, it's pretty limited. Um, but they're staying there and they're making a go of it. and I want to support them in that venture as well. Sure. Um, well, the reason I ask is because, um, well, for for listeners to to know that that might be might not be in LA, but this is what they're wanting to do, you know. And if they can reach out to you and and be a part of what you're doing in some level, you know, if there's a way to do that, then I just want people to know whether that's feasible or not. And there's there are composers and arrangers that I know here in here in Nashville that are amazing at what they do. I'm like, I'd love to connect you with some of them, <laughs> some of them, if you know, and, and establish that relationship, if, if there might be an opportunity for them to work with you down, down the line somehow. So, um, so I just wanted people to know that, you know, if that's something that you can, that you're interested in and able to do or not. So. Absolutely. And I really feel like people need to connect with their community, you know, to, to create the standards that are, that are super high and to start being really creative and how they connect and, and help their music yeah. community wherever they are. Yeah. You know, if you are in Nashville and you want to be a film composer, I expect you to know all the filmmakers in Nashville. Like that needs to be your number one thing is find yeah. out who is making content. You should know what everyone is doing at all the time. You know, what, what is being produced? Sure. And, and this great. is, and this goes for not just established filmmakers, but up and coming filmmakers. One thing that's really helped me on the, on the composition side of my uh, career is a willingness to grow with people. And I'm always looking for, yeah, working with established filmmakers, that's awesome. But I'm all, always willing to work with first time filmmakers because they could be the next big thing. Right. And they have fresh ideas. And it's so, you know, it's just always being on the lookout, always networking and being open to those relationships. And maybe that means doing a a project for free or for a low rate. I mean, there's always, there always has to be like a multiple uh, item um, checklist on why you're taking a project. You know, like maybe you're taking it just for the money, which is fine. 
maybe you're taking less money because they're a first-time filmmaker, but you've seen the pro product, you believe it's well-made, you feel like it's a, it's a valid investment for you, so that's why you do it. Maybe you do the project because it doesn't have great money, but the music they're asking you to create is something that you love to create, you feel like you can do a good job, and you're gonna maintain ownership of that music, so you're being paid to create something that you can do really well and you can use over and over again. There's so many reasons why you would take on something and you just have to make that, that good choice for yourself. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all this great information. And I'm so grateful to get to know you better and talk with you and hear this great, great amount of information for people to hopefully will take it and apply it to their careers and to their life and, and be successful the way that, that you've been. So um, I'm just really, congratulations on all of your success, by the way, all these shows and films and projects that you've been a part of, documentaries and different things. And it's so cool. Uh, and I'm honored to to get to know you better and, and build a relationship with you. And so um, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate you having me and I wish everyone all the best. Thank you. Have a great rest of the day. You too. All right. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. I really hope you take what we talked about and that you're able to find a way to put it into practice into your career. If you're wanting to be a composer or to work in that world of, of composing or arranging for different projects, for different companies that work in Hollywood and get to make these amazing things that we get to watch and enjoy. I hope you're finding ways to put all of these things into practice into your life. Please let me know how things are going for you. If you can, you can reach out to me you can email me at contact at johnmartinkeith.com. You can also reach out to me on Facebook on our You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast page. Be sure to let me know how things are going for you. If you have questions that you would like me to ask a future guest, please email them to me or send me a message on Facebook, and I will be sure to find a way to get those incorporated into a future episode. Remember, however you're listening to this podcast, whatever platform you're listening to it on, would you please do me a, a huge favor? Would you subscribe to it? And would you like it on that platform and be sure to share it with everyone you know as we continue to get the word out about what we are talking about on this podcast. I would greatly appreciate that. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone call, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.